0: Bible to the book of James, chapter 4, and you can find that on page 1012 in your pew Bible, page 1012. That's right, we're going through James, even in the season of Advent, and I pray God has a word for each of us and for all of us as a church, I believe he certainly does in the book of James. We're going through chapter 4. And then the final chapter, chapter 5, will probably finish off in January. And now we're entering the holiday season. Now, holidays are a wonderful time of the year. But for many of us, they're also the most dreaded. This past week, it seems like every news media outlet that I was checking on had some kind of little segment or a, an article in the paper or something online about strategies uh, to deal with members of your family fighting over politics, over this election, over something, how to avoid a fight at Thanksgiving. Did anyone see these? I don't, I don't uh, believe we had so many uh, coming at us at once. During the holiday season, families come together and we do something we don't normally do anymore. We share slowly cooked food. We're to enjoy one another's company. We, we go out and we, we find special presents. It's supposed to be a, a, a pleasant time, and conversation is meant to be enriching and, and a time to share and swap stories. But all too often for some of us here, there are a handful of those conversations, perhaps this past Thursday or certainly ahead of us uh, during the Christmas season, where there will be conflict, And where it may become very, very unpleasant. A sure sign of that was just this past Black Friday with seeing the crowds uh, bracing themselves as they raced into markets to find the best deals and the chaos of that. Well, James is speaking about the chaos in our lives. So the passage today in chapter 4 is very appropriate because James here will explain why we fight. Now, we're not always fighting. We're not always at one another's throats. But when we do, James has the reason behind it. Why do families have to come up with strategies to avoid conflict at the most wonderful time of the year? What is at the root, the cause of our conflicts in all of our relationships? In the context of James, he's speaking about the particular conflict within the church. Remember where we started in chapter 3? He talked about leaders that you shouldn't uh, rightly assume that anyone could just be a leader, that there's a higher calling. And then he talked about the impact of the tongue that we have, that we can lash out and we can hurt one another and we can be used as a destructive weapon against each other. And here now he's talking about the wisdom that we rely on, whether it's from above or from below and how that causes us to fight. So James will demand of every one of us as Christians to be different. And he calls us to take the necessary steps to address the root cause of our conflicts. Let's listen now to God's word. Chapter 4, verses 1 to 5. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose that it is to no purpose that the scripture says, quote, he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? Let's pray. So Lord, I pray that these next few minutes would not simply be a well-crafted, well-delivered sermon, although I certainly pray it would be. I pray, Lord, that it wouldn't simply be a a, a brief distraction before we go on about the busyness of this season, though though it may be. No, God, I, I invite your Holy Spirit to do something that only you can do, to speak words of truth, of comfort, and even confrontation if need be, Lord, to call us back to you, and you would be our first love. And Lord, that as we address this question of why we fight and get down to the root cause of it, Lord, that we would be turning ourselves over to you. We would be turning our attention and our affections over to you through Christ, we pray. Amen. I wish this text did not apply to me, but but it does. I wish I could say that my life is free from conflict but it isn't. Do you see yourself in this scripture? Do you see relationships, people in your life, people you care about? and The fights that you have, do you see that here? I want to live, I want all of us to live the, the good life that James is introducing in this section of his letter. You know, a, a life that's righteous, that relies on wisdom from above. It's, That's humble and and patient and and filled with all the things that that James described in chapter 3. But the reality is, there's conflict. Seems like all the time. Why do we fight? Why so much conflict? What's going on? Well, the Bible tells us, look at verse 1. Our passions are at war within us. James uses war language because it's a war between two kingdoms. And not many of us here, if any, have, have actually literally been to war, but James is seeing this by, by the help of the Holy Spirit from God's perspective. that it's a battle. It's a battle for our soul. It begins with an eternal or an internal conflict, That affects us all. James writes, quote, You desire and do not have, so you murder. We want what we can't have, so we fight. Do we literally murder? Well, no. Sometimes that's true. You can never look to the front page of the paper without seeing examples of that. But James has already reminded us that our tongue is like a lethal weapon. And Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount that to to spit out... Anger towards another is equivalent to to murder. So, yes, indeed, we are guilty of these very things that James is describing. He's describing, he's talking about the state of our heart, our our will, our inner self. And he's saying our inner self is that conflict within itself with the Spirit of God that's been implanted in us, with the wisdom from above, the spirit of this age. That's the conflict. And then it comes out in our godless speech. So imagine you're having this internal conflict. There's some struggle that's going on within you. Someone crosses to you and you lash out. And maybe you apologize right away. But there's something within you, and that's what James is talking about. Look what he writes. He says, passions are the issue. That word in Greek, passions, is where we get the word Uh, hedonism. The the word is hedone. It it means strong desire. It means self-indulgence, a passion that we have for the kingdom of self versus the kingdom of God. Fights come because of our own selfish desires, or you could label that with one word, pride that is not being met. 2 Corinthians 5, 15 puts it this way. It says, Jesus came so that those who live would no longer live for themselves. So here it is. The source of our conflict, why we fight, and you might say because of what she said or because of what he did, and James says, no, 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 look to yourself. We fight because of the sin of selfishness. I reduce my world down to my wants, my needs, my feelings, my kingdom. And because I do that, when I'm not walking with the Lord, I tend to reduce the people in my life to being means of getting what I want or they are obstacles to what I want. So if you are helping me get what I want, I love you, I like you, and even if I'm helping you, doing something that seems to be altruistic, I'm getting a benefit from that. But as soon as you become an obstacle to my needs and my wants, there's conflict and there's tension. Can you relate to that? Friends, the Bible says we were meant to live for something vastly bigger than ourselves. As a child of God, we are redeemed, which means in part that our desires are shaped by the righteous purposes of God's kingdom. And now I know what you're saying, oh great, I have interests and desires, sure, who doesn't? And now you're saying, to be a Christian, I have to be a goody two-shoes, and I can't have any fun. That's not what I'm saying. No. Our God is not a killjoy. No, the Lord doesn't strip away the things that you're passionate about, that you desire, but he redeems them. He makes them new. This new life offers so much more than the old one does. That's the gospel. James has been describing what he calls the good life. A life that's satisfying, more satisfying, deeper more grand, and more glorious than anything this world has to offer. So really what it is, is not giving up, it's settling. When we choose our old passions and our old ways, rather than embracing the plan that God has for us, we're settling for less. My mom's here for Thanksgiving. I came out and spent a couple days with my brother in Towson, and then his now with us here in Germantown for a couple days, so she'll know this story well. I think I was maybe seven years old, Christmas morning, and our family tradition was we opened all the presents together. You could open your stocking early in the morning, but nothing else. Don't touch anything else, because we're all going to enjoy Christmas as a family. Have a nice, lovely brunch and enjoy the day. Well, this Christmas morning, I woke up early before the dawn, and I could not wait. Do you remember this, Mom? You remember this. I raced down the stairs, and I was so excited to see all the presents under the tree, and the stocking tube, and everything else. And so what did I do? Very conscientious of me. I checked every label, and I opened every single present with my name on it. Every single one of them. In the dark. The whole family sound asleep. And I just tore through all the presents. Mine, this is mine. This is great. Look at this. And I collected all of it. And I remember going up to my parents' bedroom and kicking the door in and saying, Thank you, thank you, Mom and Dad. This is the best Christmas ever. And they missed it. And then I missed it. Because I had to sit there for hours and hours. Watching everyone open their presents and my mother recycles everything carefully cutting the wrapping paper, you know And ironing it and you have to wait like a half an hour between every present and I was the worst. Well, that's what we do When we settle for less we say you know what? Um, God you're great, but I'm just going to take These candles. I think this sounds this sounds like what I want for Christmas. Enjoy the worship and I'll just head out the door and what's he say? He says, come back here. Don't settle. And, and don't ruin the advent candles because you're gonna get in trouble with Michelle Kelly and the worship committee. Put all that back. Beautiful verse of scripture, Matthew 7.11. You can't miss it. Matthew 7.11, Jesus says, the Father delights in giving his children good gifts. Isn't that a wonderful promise? The Father delights. And giving his children a lump of clay, of coal, a rock. No, good gifts. But the conflict is that we're not sure. Maybe, maybe, maybe the old way is better. And this is so short-sighted that we miss out. Allowing our old passions to have sway. Look at verse 3. It causes something else. Not only do we miss out, look at verse 3. It says this is one reason, not the only reason, but it is one reason our prayers go unanswered. Because we're not praying as obedient children. Who among us has stopped to pray at the very beginning of a fight? Who among us thinks, before I speak, let me just pray right now, Lord, help me in this moment. No, we, we just jump ahead. And then the prayers are, God, back me up on what I'm saying here. You got my back, right? Because I know I'm right. He says, this is why your prayers go unanswered. A prayerlessness is a sign that you're trying to run things on your own strength for your own sake. Instead of praying on it, seeking wisdom, we we indulge our old passions. And when we don't, uh, and, and when we do ask, James says we don't receive. He writes, quote, because we ask wrongly to spend it on our own passions. He's putting his readers, he's putting you and me in our place for only turning to God, hoping that he'll swipe his cosmic credit card to fulfill our agenda, rather than you and I submitting ourselves to his. And this is a huge misunderstanding Of prayer. The purpose of prayer is not to get God to do what I want. It is actually a means by which we align ourselves to his priorities. We say, Lord, what do you want in this situation? Help me with my words. I'm going to trust that that you have the best in mind in this situation. Help me, Lord. Now, that's a prayer that will get an answer but not this kind of prayerlessness that's reliant on our old selves. When we allow our desires to grow unsanctified, one result is unanswered prayer. Our selfish desires are are why we fight, and, and it causes, according to James, prayerlessness, joylessness, and conflict. All the time, no, but enough? Don't you want less conflict in your life? Don't you want more joy? I'm sure you do. Not only does this cause a conflict within ourselves, with people around us, but far more seriously, it causes a conflict between ourselves and our God. Fighting for our passions, our old passions, is a sign of a selfish heart, but according to James, it is also a sign of an adulterous heart. James writes, quote, You adulterous people, don't you know friendship with the world is enmity or or hostility against God? So he's speaking about spiritually being unfaithful to God. The imagery is powerful. Think of a husband or wife discovering their spouse in the midst of an affair. James says that horrendous behavior describes what we do when we turn our back on God. We're two-timing God when we adopt the values of the world, when we seek to fulfill our pleasures, when we seek to gratify ourselves in the ways of the world and also say that we are Christian and that we've adopted and are embracing the values of Christ's kingdom. James reminds us God doesn't want to share us with anyone else. And so he uses this This analogy of of being jealous, it's throughout the Old Testament, the jealousy of God. This isn't a jolted lover pounding on a motel, let me in, let me in. No, no, it's not the way we would think of jealousy, but it's the passion that God has to have you all to himself, to not share you or your affections with anyone. So James is crystal clear, being unfaithful to God provokes his enmity. And so he says there are two choices, and only two flirting with the world and being at odds with God, or clinging to the covenant with God and having our passions not replaced, not stripped away, but redeemed, and then truly satisfied. If you've strayed from God, I'm here to tell you this morning God wants you back. This is a hard message, but it's because we haven't continued on in the text. I, I can't wait. I'm like, I'm still that little seven-year-old kid. I gotta tell you what happens next. Look at verse six. He says, but God gives more grace. God wants you back. And even if you've struggled, and you've started to fight, and, and maybe the other person started it, but you didn't end it well. You know that, that there's a conflict within you. God give you more grace. He wants you back. Bible says, quote, he yearns over the spirit he's made to dwell in us.